Hello, Liz Barkley here. Welcome to the backinbusiness.org.uk podcast. This particular podcast was recorded on the morning of the 29th of May and in the afternoon the Chancellor made some changes to the Self-Employed Income Support Scheme. That scheme will now run until the end of August and self-employed people will be able to make claims until then. There's more detail in my blog on Self-Employed Income Support Phase 2. Check it out and in the meantime, enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Back in Business podcast with Liz Barkley and me, Mickey Clark. For those that don't know us, we've been business journalists since the days of the tulip scam and the South Sea bubble. So we've been round the block a few times. Speaking Isn't that the case, Liz? <laughs> <laughs> and there's always something new. Do you know what surprised me this week? The amount of information that keeps coming out about the, the COVID-19 uh, epidemic and government strategies. And, and I, I think... To a certain extent, it started to become a bit confusing. Don't you think it was always a bit confusing? I mean, right from the beginning, I've been confused, but that might be just me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but it's, it seems to be lurching towards chaos now. And people who are either more concerned about their businesses and how they're going to survive must be thinking, what am I going to do with all this paperwork? Uh, you know, is there going to be the support there for small businesses going forward? What happens if you run a business and you've got workers furloughed? You're now being told... Well, hold on a second, you have to dip your hand in your pocket and start paying. That's when we're going to start seeing the job losses. I think that's absolutely true. I think the, the unemployment figures could really go up once we see employers having to make a contribution. And then, of course, uh, it's likely that we're going to see the end of the furlough scheme and perhaps it even tapered was being suggested this week. And that might add to even more confusion. But, you know, uh, we're quite lucky because we've got Simon McVicker, our Back in Business Director of Public Affairs, with us. We've uh, got Jyoti Ramby, our Chief Reporter. We've got the star of the podcast this week, and that's the Small Business Commissioner, Philip King. He's with us. We're all here on Zoom, just in case you wondered, so we can see each other. Um, And then we have also got the Chartered Accountant, Alan Smith, and we'll be talking to at least one business person uh, later on in the programme. But... Philip, you're the person with the task of making businesses in the UK pay up in time, but late payments has always been the big bugbear for small businesses. You quite literally go out of business waiting to be paid. How bad is the situation? Good morning, Liz, and good morning, everybody. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Businesses fail when they run out of cash. Um, businesses can be lacking in profitability or lacking in liquidity for a long time, but when they have no cash, they run out of business, and that's why quarter day is so important in the retail sector, particularly normally. Um, and we know that you know the last figures from BACS or, or Pay UK as they are now of the self-employed were worried simply about meeting their living expenses. We saw um, figures early on that one in five businesses wouldn't survive the crisis. Um, The FSB put some numbers out recently that said that one in three of those businesses that had closed wouldn't reopen. Um, And this morning, the ONS has reported that 42% of businesses have less than six months cash and 58% of businesses that have closed 
have less than six months cash, so won't survive beyond November. So there is no doubt that the statistically we're in a much worse position than we would normally be, and where we normally are isn't good. So it's a real problem. That's a pretty ghastly picture. Well, it is ghastly, but I mean, if you go back to when I first joined the BBC back in 1994, one of the first stories I covered was late payments, and I'm still covering this story. And it seems as though nothing has changed. And I go back to the days of, of Arnold Weinstock, Lord Weinstock of GEC. He made a very profitable business out of late payments because he would send the company's bust and then buy them off the administrator. And to him, that was just straightforward business. He made it very profitable. And I, I just don't think that it's a hurdle that we're going to get over, to be honest. That's shocking. Well, it might be shocking, but as I say, it's, it's business. Is that an impression you still get, Philip? Is it? Is there something? Do we have to put it in the statute books to actually get this resolved? Well, I, I wouldn't be as pessimistic as, as you, you people as you, are. Mickey. Um, I, I've. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've seen some, some good stuff going on um, and, and I've seen some, some great examples, particularly through COVID, of businesses doing the right thing. Um, and, and I think that we are seeing some good examples, but you're absolutely right that there are many bad examples as well. Um, and, you know, there have been a lot of efforts over the years to try and shift that. Um, we've seen some really good measures. We've seen some shifts in behaviour. And what we need to do is to isolate the bad behaviour as being pockets of bad behaviour than rather than being the norm. Um, and I could sit here and, and recount several examples of businesses that have transformed culturally the way they treat their supply chains um, and have improved their payment practice. But it's an issue that has always been there and, and we need to continue to work to change the culture. I think there are a number of ways we're doing that. Legislation plays its part, but people tend not to use it. Um, the the work that my team does in the Small Business Commissioner's Office is helping to get businesses paid and is helping to drive change. Um, and I'm currently writing to numerous businesses where we're seeing poor examples. I've got a conversation this afternoon with a big business that has taken what I think is the wrong approach. And I'm talking to them and I'm seeing some businesses change their approach in the, on the back of conversations that I'm having with them. Um, so I think there are some pockets of good behaviour and there are some glimmers of hope, but it's a long, slow journey and we need to change the culture. Um, well, Philip, we're going to hear a lot more about that uh, coming up. Maybe we can, uh, maybe we can actually even give some examples of what we have seen in terms of behaviour there. Uh, but before we go into that issue any more in any more detail, Simon, I think the big news this week, really, for the self-employed people, is that that self-employed income support scheme that only launched a couple of weeks ago comes to an end. Yes, well, it looks like today the scheme will end on Sunday and uh, there is no hint from the government that they're going to extend this further. There was some hope it might uh, uh, stay uh, until October, like the furlough scheme. But um, despite pressure from backbench Tory MPs, it looks as if it, it will end um, on Sunday night. And so therefore, the self-employed will not be getting any support from the government and we already know, of course, that uh, the scheme was slightly inadequate because it left out a huge big gap of self-employed people, nearly a million, who weren't eligible. So the other three or four million now are going to be in the, in the same position. And it's going to be a very tough summer. Um, and that's the, that's the worry, isn't it, for, for the government, 
in that we, we've talked about it in the past, the, 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 the higher level of unemployment. We're seeing it in the States. Um, there is a possibility, of course, that it could happen here. And if that's the case, of course, this V-shaped recovery that the, the Treasury and the Bank of England have been talking about is not going to happen if you've got too many people out of work. And the tax receipts, I've noticed also this week, have, have dropped considerably. So the government is facing real headwinds on this, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think that, um, indeed, I mean, in a way, uh, self-employment is a, is a real safety net for some of the big companies because if they don't feel they can take on employees in any meaningful way in the next year or so, the self-employed are, are there to bring in a, uh, in a temporary basis. But I, don't, I think a lot of self-employed people are going to be thinking, can I remain self-employed in the, in the short term? I mean, I, I'm not getting any client work. I'm getting no support from the government. I mean, we're looking over a cliff edge here. Um, I think, Simon, that um, it is worth just saying that we are recording this on Friday. We're putting it on the website on Monday. And on the Sunday in between, we're anticipating that this scheme is going to come to an end, which means that by the time you're listening to this podcast, it will have come to an end. And I've been, um, I'm, we asked Alan Smith, our resident a chartered accountant at Back in Business this morning. Uh, Alan, if you can think of, if you could think of anything that self-employed people in this position can do or other self-employed people that Simon mentioned who'd fall through the net, you know, wh where is, this is going to be a long, hard summer. Um, I think it is, Liz. Um, my experience started um, just before uh, Mickey was talking about 1994 and, and the chaos that was going on then. I was in the insolvency trade as a chartered accountant uh, in the recession from 89 through to 93, and I saw a lot of chaos then. Um, my advice to my clients is, number one rule is the buck stops with you. Um, they've got their advisors around them, but they've got it. They, they really have to understand that. Uh, and there is utter, utter confusion out there, which, which doesn't particularly help. Um, what I like to help clients understand is the concept of free money. And with free money, we're talking about things like the um, self-employed income support scheme. We're talking about things like the furlough, if you run a company. So that's good. And my clients get that and they've got to chase it down. Um, other things like the bounce back loan is not free money. That money will hang around and could haunt you forever. Um, well, it does what it says on the tin. It's a loan. It has to be paid back. And if it's not paid back, that's when the Chancellor's scheme starts to unravel because that debt has to be met. You can't just run it off the books. Um, you know, if, if it's not paid back, someone has got to pay for it. That, that's exactly it, Mickey. It's, so we need, to, we need people to understand that basic rule. What's free money? Let's go for it. Let's understand it. Let's, let's grab it. Uh, and then a loan is a loan and it doesn't go away. Good, good point. But the chances are, is are they not, that a lot of businesses will have simply gone bust in the meantime and a lot of that money never will be paid back? Well, it raises an interesting point, um, Liz. Uh, the, the, what I've encouraged clients to do is really look at this bounce-back loan. Um, zero interest for the first year, 25% of your turnover. Now, again, looking back to what Mickey was saying and that entrepreneur who was buying off insolvency practitioners in the early 90s, well, they were buying off people like me. We took over distressed businesses and we needed to sell them. So um, what I'm encouraging my clients to do is to take the 
the bounce back loan if they can. Don't spend a penny off it. Don't spend a penny. Be really careful with it. But in every every place of adversity, there is opportunity. Absolutely. Um, and, and they may be able to use that COVID loan for some canny investments, some canny purchases, uh, and, and be better on the other side of this. So, so my, 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 that's another tip that I give people. Um, so you're, you're not talking, Alan, about um, using the loan as, as, a, as supplying cash flow throughout the course of the months ahead. You're saying that if you're going to use this money, use it as an investment. To, to, to boost, to bolster your business uh, and sort of make, make hay, hay while the sun shines. That's exactly what I'm saying, Mickey. It's, it's looking at it a different way. And I think there will be opportunities out there. And, and, and no matter what way we look at this, this will be temporary, folks. I keep underlining that to everyone, everybody. But is the reality, Alan, not that people are taking the loan just for survival and just saying, well, we'll see what's going to be in the autumn and in the, in next year? Uh, but we, if we can get through with this loan, we're taking it. That's that's what I've been hearing anyway. Simon, I, I buy the survival argument, but what I would get my clients to do is do a plan for survival. So I'd want to see what the plan is for the next three or four months, what that cash is being used for, um, and it not being flittered away because the debt will stick there and it could come back to haunt you. So what, so what, what, what I'm taking... Oh, sorry, Simon. <laughs> sorry. So from your point of view, Alan, looking like six months hence, are you seeing an economic disaster facing the country or do you think people will be canny and will will find ways of uh, making their businesses survive? Well, if it's anything like the experience that we went through from the tail end of 88, 89 to, to 93, um, there, is, there is a big reshake, there is a big reset. Um, the, the, the entrepreneur, the, 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 the clever business person, the, 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 um, the person who plans and cuts back remorselessly at any cost during this difficult period, that they will survive and they will potentially come out to a better place. But there will be a big shakeout where those that aren't, aren't able to or can't and um, will sadly um, will we'll, we'll sadly go under and we, we may see a different place is, is, is the, the sort of environment I'm, I'm, seeing and and helping my clients plan for at the moment now i know you've written about this before um you know things got really tough uh and we you've given us access to that list of tips and hints but what you seem to be saying two things one is if you've got really good advisors use them this is the time to be in contact with your accountant and whoever else it happens to be who can advise you and two these may be the businesses that if they are canny and keep this money aside Take some are able to take some risks and innovate us out of this mess. Uh, Correctly, so the the advisor um, checklist that I'd always remind clients are your 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 accountant or chartered accountant, um, your your solicitor. But then there's also the free support, and and very often my clients are paying for it, but they forget about it, and it does frustrate me. But I I like free. Um, free's good. Uh, so FSB have got wonderful resources and help and advisors. And equally, Ipsy have the same. So I would look across my client base and I'd say probably 90% would be a member of one of those two. And if you're not a member of one of those two, you've got to ask why not. Um, I see I see. Philip is nodding in agreement at anything. Uh, Philip, the word free seems to <laughs> resonate with you too. Have you got anything you can add on this front? 
No, I think, I mean, I think, I think the points Alan's making are absolutely right. Um, all I, I, I was nodding particularly because the services that my office gives are free. So businesses that are struggling to get paid can ring us. We do give advice. We've collected half a million pounds for small businesses since COVID started. Um, collected seven point two million pounds so far in total, um, and and that's what we're there for. Um, and I think you know he's absolutely right. The FSB, Ipsy, other organisations have got great resources available, um, at incredibly good value. Um, but we're also a free service, and you know come and talk to us. Okay, uh, because I think um, you know for companies not getting the payments in, not getting their invoices paid, that's where. Uh, real the real disaster can strike too even if you have got loans in the bank and can i just uh, take, take it back to the self-employed um, angle again where my view is if self-employed people can hang on in any way through this summer i think there's going to be big opportunities in the next year for them because as i say i i, I do not think the big companies will want to invest that heavily in employment but the work still needs to be done. And I think they're going to be looking for maybe self-employed solutions. So um, I think in the short term, it's going to be really tough. But if they can hang on, maybe it'll be quite good for self-employed people. Well, that, I, don't know I think Alan would agree with that or not, but <laughs> there you go. I think, Simon, we're all smiling because I think we're all self-employed around here, including including our two guests we're going to talk to uh, in a minute. So, you know, what you're what you're basically doing is saying this work for us, guys. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> Providing you're not in the aerospace industry. The automotive industry, retail, or hospitality. I know, and that you covers quite. That covers quite. That covers quite a lot. Can you tell us? Can you can you tell us if you're listening? What about you? Are you, uh, you know, are you optimistic that there might be opportunities out there for you? Are you optimistic that you'll survive this long hot summer, as uh, Simon and Alan have been calling it? Um, and then again, on the late payment issue, are you getting your invoices paid on time? Are you struggling to get the money in? You can contact us. Uh, email us at contact us at backinbusiness.org.uk. Visit the website, find us on LinkedIn, or we're on Twitter at business underscore backin. And we will uh, we will be back in contact with you if you get in contact with us. What a treat! What a treat! Um, let's uh, let's move it on a bit. Our chief reporter Jyoti Ramba has been hearing from small businesses, people in the creative sectors. What are they saying to you, Jyoti? So creative industries has been uh, one of the biggest sectors that's always suffered from late payment. Um, so I've been speaking to quite a lot of people who've um, had to deal with late payment and the impact it's had on their business. So I've spoken to um, a photographer who works across events and she's been working with a client on a long-term basis. And one of the things she's always said was um, that she always has to chase them for payment um, and it's resulted in her being in debt. Often she has to find herself relying on overdrafts from a bank to survive in the interim periods Um, and she has raised this with the client but she doesn't want to push them too much because she relies on them for the work in the first place. And Philip, I mean, does this sound familiar to you that, dare I say it, all your eggs in one basket, and that's part of the problem, isn't it, when you're chasing late payments? 
Yes, it is, Mickey. I think I think you're right, <clears throat> and I think you know I have absolute sympathy with the photographer that Jody is talking about, um, because it is really tough when you're you know trying to get business and you don't want to upset your client and so on. My view on this is that you know at the very outset of the relationship, someone says to you, "Will you provide a service next Saturday?" The response to that is, "Yes, I will." Will you pay me the Saturday after? or on the day, or in 30 days, or whatever it is, and get them to agree to that in writing, because that gives you something to fall back on. And you know, I think there's always a point at which the supplier has power. I was interviewed for a, a video Vox thing a while back by a, a, a video company, and the guy said to me, you know what, we never get paid by one of our biggest clients, it's a real challenge. And I said, when you've got money outstanding, talk to them the night before you're about to film for them and say, if you don't get payment authorised to me, I'm not turning up tomorrow morning. And I, and I was interviewed by him a few months later and he said, you know what, that absolutely worked. There was a moment when we had real power and we just flexed it a bit and we've now changed the way they pay us. Um, and I think businesses, all too often small businesses, feel they're completely powerless that's why my office exists, to give them a voice. But actually, they're not always as powerless as they think. And they have to make sure that they get the agreement in place and they really push and really push hard. And no one should be afraid to ask for money that's theirs. But, Jyoti, is that not the problem? People are afraid. Yeah, I was going to say that's a really good point. And I think that's it. And I think it's not just afraid. I think, um, from what I've um, heard, people have just sort of accepted it as a norm that, they're going to be paid late. So I spoke to another um, photographer, actually, who's worked in the music industry for 20-plus years, and he said that he's developed his business model around the fact that he's always going to get paid late. And he goes, most of the time, he doesn't get paid till some nine, sometimes a year after doing a job, um, and he's just accepted it. And I, do you think that's the right way forward, Philip? Absolutely, it's not. If we assume that's going to happen, it, it probably will happen. Um, and I think that, you know, if you don't ask for money, you won't get it. Um, and if you don't set out your stall early doors about what your expectations are, then you run the risk of being walked all over. And, and, I, and I talk to so many small businesses that are just effectively saying, I have no choice, it's all I can do. And I do understand how difficult it is to ask for money. I do understand that you feel powerless when you're up against a massive organisation that is, that is you know, much more powerful than you are and so on. But at the end of the day, and I'm sure we're going to come on to this, not being paid has a real emotional impact on people. And we need to get big corporates to move away from the transactional view and onto the emotional view of what they're doing to small businesses. And when I talk to chief execs of large businesses, as I have been over recent weeks, all too often they don't even think about the impact they're having. And so small businesses need to be willing to stand up and say, you know what, if you don't pay me today, I can't feed my family. It's really important. And get businesses to bat for you. Do you think that businesses are doing it on purpose? Are they using small businesses, freelancers, almost as a bank? Because, I mean, I know at the moment that I'm up against a situation, even after all these years as a freelance, where I haven't been paid by a big organisation for months, but it's their processes that are the problem. They simply, I suspect, uh, just keep processing me and reprocessing me and never actually getting the money out the other end. But the result's the same, Liz. It is. You don't get paid. I don't get paid. That's why and they put these processes into place. Yeah, it just rolls it around. I mean, it's not just small companies. 
you go back many years, there was a big food producer, Northern Food, which was doing very well. But then they realised one day, something like 80% of their turnover went to Marks and Spencer. And guess what Marks and Spencer did? They started to squeeze and squeeze and squeeze till the margins became wafer thin. Northern Food had no, no recourse. There was no way to come back and say, come, you can't do this to us. They had to go out and find new clients. Philip, solve it. Yeah, I think... <laughs> No, I don't think, I think that there is an element, I mean, you know, Mickey shared the Weinstock GE example from years ago. Um, and I, I think there are businesses that do deliberately exploit their supply chains. Um, and, and we've called some of those out in recent reports and so on. But, but I think generally, the, the biggest issue is inefficiency and incompetence in large businesses, you know. Um, and, and I talk to numerous businesses where we have bad examples of people being paid and, and things just don't get through the system. And, you know, one of the big challenges for me is that big businesses often have a very complex system that when it works, works really well. So you get it in the system automatically, goes through, comes out the other side. And then I hear small businesses say, I don't trust the big system. I'm going to send it to my mate in Warwick and he'll make sure it gets walked through for me. <clears throat> well, guess not what? The guy in Warwick isn't in this week. He's too busy to do it. And it sits there for a month before he even looks at it. So sometimes one of the questions I say to things I say to small businesses always is before you supply and particularly before you invoice, find out what their requirements are. Find out what you need to do to get paid. If it needs to be on pink paper in font of 14 and sent to Glasgow, then do that. If that's what gets you through the system, help it. <laughs> Philip, can I introduce you to two other people uh, on this call? Uh, one is Lisa, who is an HR consultant, Lisa Seagroat, and the other is Annabelle Kay, who is MD of Coffee Clatch. And that uh, provides contracts for small businesses and micro businesses and so on to use when they're contracting with somebody else. Both of them have been nodding their heads as we've, as we've been talking about all of this. Uh, who wants to jump in? Come on, Lisa, Annabelle, uh, you, you guys get in and tell, tell us what your, your experiences of all of this is. I work with lots of micropreneurs, VAs, web designers, digital marketers, really in the modern space. And I agree with Jochi that people are afraid if they kick up a fuss, they're not going to get paid. I've been there myself. We're celebrating 40 years in business. And my entire business model has entirely focused on getting paid. I think a lot of small business coaches teach people how to get business. But if you want a coach on how to get paid, you'll go a long way. Perhaps Philip's going to be in big demand. And, and I do a lot of work in that space. Um, my rules are I never let any client be more than 20% of my turnover because that's my drop-dead budget of if you won't pay me, I'm not servicing you. And I think that businesses get into problems when they've got one really big customer and they daren't. But I also teach the people I work with and set up the contracts that a customer is someone who pays you. If they haven't paid you, they're not a customer. They're just a time suck because they're self-employed people I can't get today back again. If someone's promised to pay me for that day and they never do, I can't reverse time and rebuild today. And some of it is complete lack of understanding by corporate executives. They get paid at the end of the month anyway until we get to the end of the furlough scheme when they're going to find out what our life is like. 
which is you might get paid, you might not get paid, the checks in the post, the backs went out with the wrong reference on it. The mental health problems in the freelance industry that are created by having regular monthly bills as a person and regular monthly bills as a business and having an income that depends entirely on the whim of some executive remembering to sign an authority is incalculable. I think if someone did the research, Annabelle. you'd be amazed what that costs the country and us personally. Anna, Annabelle, did you learn this by personal Yes, experience? I did. I also had a very, very noisy baby who was one of those screamers. And I actually got in the habit of taking him to reception and saying, I will not leave until you obey me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> He's 35 now, though. I can't really do that anymore. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, can we all borrow him? But if he's thirty, he's at thirty-five. He may get a bit resistant to being dragged along. <laughs> Lisa, what's your what's your experience? Well, it's really funny talking about the mental health issues. I went into business because I had a mental health breakdown, and then I found myself in business with more stress because I wasn't getting paid by this large um, mechanistic organisation where I just got lost in the system, which is exactly what you were just talking about a minute ago. It's, you know, passing it from this department to that department and, and then not knowing um, what to ask a sole trader for. Then they ask you for loads of information. You give it to them and it's still not right. Um, and end to end from this particular example that I've spoken to um, your team about, from the beginning to the actual end of this piece of work was 16 months before I actually finished getting paid from start to the very, very end. It was a 16-month process. And the actual contract amount overall was £14,000. So that was huge, huge amount of money. Um, and I am fortunate enough that I had a diverse client base, so I wasn't over-reliant on that one particular contract. Um, but I was, and I'm quite happy to say, because I was new to business then, I was completely blown away by the fact that they'd approached me, you know, a little sole trader person, a little HR lady, to do this piece of work for them. So I was a bit blown away by the brand at the beginning. And then at the end of it, I thought, I'm never working for that brand ever again. So, <laughs> so you know, the, the mental health ramifications were massive, the stress, the worry. Um, I'm just fortunate that I'd got other income coming in. So I wasn't, as I said, over-reliant on just that one piece of work. But for those people that are, I can't imagine how horrendous that must be for them. Remind me not to upset you two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Philip, <laughs> Philip, how, t how, how typical, Philip, are these? I mean, they're, they're absolutely typical. I mean, I talk to small businesses all the time and, and I hear things about mood swings, behaviour relationships, um, relationship breakdowns, well-being, mental health, um, sleep deprivation, eating disorders. All of these things come from, um, from food. I talked to a small business just before Christmas. She'd expected £36,000 in on the 21st of December. It didn't come in. Over Christmas, she had £3 in her business account. 
Her entire Christmas was ruined. The money came in on the 6th of January, and when she challenged to find out why it hadn't come in before, the reason was that the person that was going to process it had just gone off a couple of days early and was going to do it when they came back. And for them, it was just a transaction. It was nothing more than that. For her, it was Christmas absolutely ruined for her and her family. And, and what I say to big businesses very often is that what might be 10 rows on a spreadsheet for a corporate business is feeding the family for a micro business owner. And we have to understand that humanized emotional impact of, what, of what's going on here. Alan, how do you advise your clients if they're in this position? It comes down to um, basically the, the, point, the point I said earlier, Liz, which is is they really do have to understand that the buck does stop with them, but to take 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 the advisors that are around them and take that advice on board to help carry it forward. Um, in terms of navigating the specific point about late payments, I always say go first to your actual procurer, so not the guys that are sitting in the accounts department paying the checks, but absolutely have that key key relationship with the person that you're doing the work for because they can carry a lot more clout than that than you will um so communication lines with that person and, and get them to do the the um the, the speed work for you it doesn't always work but it helps um philip Josie. Th- sorry philip, uh, liz philip does the small claims court still function as such is that a way yes it does it is. Um, and money claims online is a pretty easy process to use, um, which, which is all on online, online and so on. So, yes, it does. Uh, and I think the point here, and, and Alan just said it, is, you know, um, very often the, the best ally you've got is the person that wanted you to do the work for them in the first place. Um, if you can get them on side batting for you inside the organisation, you know, accounts payable departments might well be, you know, offshore somewhere. So talking to anybody that does anything other than follow a script is really difficult. So often you need someone batting for you internally and what i'll say to lisa is if you know if she waited 16 months to get paid i wish we'd been around then because you we i guarantee the sbc would have got payment in in a lot quicker time than that typically we get money in within a matter of days or weeks when we talk to an organization i mean they you know they did pay me but it was in dribs and drabs it was never according to the invoice amount it was never in in line with my payment terms which are 28 days I mean, if you times that by three and then an amount just dropped in the bank account, which bore no correlation whatsoever, it it was just farcical. The hours and hours my husband spent, because he manages the finances, thankfully, the hours he spent on it. If if I'd have actually paid him, it would have probably ended up with me not earning anything (laughs) because it cost so long to unpick what they were doing. But yeah, I I wish I'd have known a bit more, a bit sooner um, about how... To get and, help. and Annabelle, that's 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 a something that you've come across as well, is it? Absolutely. You could spend this time creating new services, and all this time on credit control is the time suck because I am the MD, I am the credit controller, I am the sales and marketing thing. I feel like starting a hashtag like hashtag pay me too, you know, because nobody wants to talk about this problem, and I think we should. Um, <laughs> Well, why don't you? Well, I think we might have just done it, actually. But the other thing I will say is I've really changed my business model over the years to make sure the business model incentivizes the person to pay me because I don't pay my mortgage or my bills in a restaurant. If I have a great relationship with the company, 
I pay them because that's the deal. I can't go to Tesco's or Pizza Express and say, tell you what, love, I've had a meal, I've had my groceries, checks in the post. You know, I don't... <laughs> can, I, can I ask you, can I ask you if either of you, and I was going to ask uh, Joyty this, uh, this a minute ago, uh, have any of the people you've spoken to do any, does anybody charge interest on their invoices if they're not paid within the set period Absolutely. of time? Absolutely. Um, our you're... contracts that we set up provide for more than the basic county court minimum as well, because that in no way reflects the real cost of administration of going, please give me my money. Here's a statement. Oh, you want the invoice resubmitted again? Oh, now you want it on purple. This is all real cost. Right. And it's not just emotional cost, it's admin cost. Um, we did a time log when we first changed our business model away from general credit. And we worked out that 20% of the time that we should be spent providing service to customers was absorbed in just getting them to pay for service they already have. Most businesses aren't 20% profitable on the bottom line. That's a really big impact you know now we try to create business models that encourage people to pay us we take deposits we have cheaper rates for people who pay us up front we have stage payments we have contracts that give us the right to stop work like the videographers you know you haven't paid us oh nothing's happening and we are constantly encouraging our customers to be brave to say no Annabelle, there are really good points there about um, stage payments that you mentioned and deposits. Um, the other one that I meant to mention earlier, but I, but I admitted to, was I also encourage my clients to check out the information that, that's there already, because the motto I give them is a bad customer is worse than no customer at all. And um, often, um, medium-sized companies, you can actually go on to Companies House, and there is bucket loads of good information and intelligence on there about um, things that are interesting, like do they file accounts on time? Well, if they don't, that tells you something. Does the balance sheet look really poor? Well, don't touch them with a barge pole. So all of these things together, Annabelle, your tips about stage payments, deposits, doing a bit of research. I think, Lisa, um, looking now to Lisa on this, these things can really help you um, help you with your business and, 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 stop, and stop you losing money, basically. Yeah, 100%. And, and just coming back to the point about charging interest, I did because I belong to a networking group, your business community, I took advice through my helpline there. We said, you know, you need to be issuing a letter now saying, if you don't pay within the next 14 days, um, we're going to start adding interest, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I was reluctant to do that because of the relationship with the client, you know, but by, we'd gone beyond that by then. It was getting ridiculous. As soon as we put that letter into them, my goodness, did we see some flurry of activity. And that's when some money actually dropped, dropped into my bank account. So it's about being brave, really, isn't it? And actually saying, I am going to do that because that is the right thing to do. And um, Alan or, or Philip in, uh, or whoever can answer this, um, can you check uh, through a credit reference agency whether businesses pay up or not? Is there a is there a a process for being able to look to see who are late payers and don't make their payments? 
Well, there are organisations such as Experian and other credit reference agencies which you can get information and credit checks on and big businesses will be using them. Some of these come at a cost uh, and, and therefore it's assess the cost and take the view. Um, I, I think that most people that run a business understand a balance sheet and therefore should be able to go on and do some basic due diligence themselves on company's house. And I come back to it again, Liz, if they don't file their accounts on time and if the balance sheet looks poor, walk away. Bad customer, worse than no customer at all. Uh, Jyoti, is there, is there anything that you've heard that we haven't been talking about yet? I'm, sh- I'm sure there are other aspects to this because it's not as easy as, you know, I know that I get really worried about upsetting the client in case they don't ever hire me again. There's an emotional side to this. I think that's part of the big problem why a lot of people don't actually want to charge interest or don't want to push their clients too much about paying them. And it's fear for losing their client and losing that work. Um, And I've been speaking to someone who said they've finished a project for a client. They haven't paid them yet, but they've also offered them another project. Um, Now, they're in this position where they want the work, but they also need the money. They don't want to lose the prospect of having that other work as well. So you're in a catch-22 situation. And then, it, appears, it appears to me you're always in a catch-22, Annabelle. Yes. And then Annabelle, think, Annabelle, you're on mute. Oh, there you go. You were on yeah. mute. So I was going to say, I hear that, but you can change that. The thing is, we are in business. We have the power to change things. So what I do, all my invoice chasing and stroppy stuff with interest and sue, sue, sue letters, as I call them, go out from an account sent email. And if a client then comes in and says, you know, I'm terribly, terribly sorry, blah, 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 something went wrong, blah, 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 and I believe them, I go, I'll tell accounts to back off them. Right? I actually have, you know, accounts that, I mean, I'm thinking of having I will sue you at as an email address as well. And just go, I'm sorry, just like they do. It's an automated system. And by the way, our interest on late payments is automated. And I go, well, according to the computer, you're wrong. We have a hard time stopping it. It will keep accruing interest until you clear the account. Nothing I can do. Annabelle, reprogram uh, it. Annabelle, have you ever tried to quantify how much business you have lost because of late paying clients and the, your decision to drop them um, from doing future work. Is it a figure you can quantify? Um, over the years, we lose about 5,000 every three years in bad debts, right, which is a real cost to a small company. And we've done everything we can to get rid of that. And we lose about 2,500 in people who won't do business with us. But on the other hand, I suspect that people who want to do business with us because we insist on getting paid would have gone into the bad debt box as well. I can't prove it because I didn't do business with them. So although there is a cost of refusing to do business with people who won't pay you, in our business, it's a lower cost than doing business with people who don't pay us. Nothing's free in business, is it? (laughs) Definitely not. Philip... What are you what are you taking away from this conversation? <laughs> Liz, I mean I think I think Annabelle's point is really right, isn't it? If you if you don't get paid, it's not just you don't get paid, but you've spent time doing something for what not paid. You could have been doing something else with that time and you're wasting time chasing. So there's a massive cost that's more than just the, the value of the debt. Um, you know, every business has the legal right to charge interest. 
without giving any notice in advance. They can charge 8% above base just by sending an invoice for those charges. My team has, uh, and my, biz, my website has got a calculator on it will help you work out what the interest you can charge is. I know a small business that immediately she isn't paid, she just sends an invoice for late payment charges and interest. Um, there's a standard charge you can you can levy. There's interest. She doesn't get that paid very often. What happens is the original invoice does get paid. So rather than ring up and chase, she just sends an invoice. Um, I think Alan's point about checking in advance is really good. And, you know, there's a payment practice reporting portal that every large business has to report every six months on their payment performance. You can look on that. You can see the average time they pay, take, take to pay, the, the range across which they're paying invoices. And if they're paying their average invoices on 34 days and they want you to give them 90 days credit, there's an obvious question there, which is, which is why, why would I do that? So look at that. And, and the point around, you know, the credit reference agencies do have balance sheets and so on, as Alan says. They also have, they do capture payment record information, which can be looked at. So find every source you can. And, you know, very often in a local community, you've got local contacts and you'll know people that have dealt with businesses locally and will be able to tell you how they've behaved. So find out from them. But if you take business for which you're not going to be paid, you really are kidding yourself and you're wasting your time, money and effort. And that's not to anyone's benefit. Simon, I know you had a few questions that you wanted to put to Philip. Are you... Um... Well, are you with us? Well, <laughs> yes, I, the bit. Um, I um, first of all, I'd just like to say, Philip, I think you're bringing tremendous energy and empathy to the role. And that's what is needed more than anything else in this role. Um, but I, I, I remember um, just before the general election, I'd been talking to Bayes about um, giving the small bu uh, business commissioner some more powers, uh, you know, legal powers to maybe name, shame, fine along the, the Australian line, because I'm a very big advocate of the Australian small business commissioners. <clears throat> and it looked as if that was going to happen. And then the general election happened and everything seemed to stop. I mean, do you think you're going to get more powers? And if you did want some more powers, what, what one power would you like? Other than a magic wand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's, that's the obvious one. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I talk to Kate Carnell in Australia regularly, um, and I'm a big advocate of what they do out there and what they've done out there. Um, there is a consultation that's ready to go out from Bayes um, looking at increased powers for the Small Business Commissioner. It hasn't gone out because right now people are too focused on other things to give it any meaningful response. But I think that will go out you know, in, in due course. And that is looking um, at wider powers. Um, I, th I think for me... The, the, the one power that I would like to have, which isn't technically within legislation, is the ability to go out um, and investigate large businesses under my own initiative without having to be having a complaint from a small business. Um, but I, mean, I, I think it's not for me to comment on what our powers would be, because clearly that's a that's a government thing. Um, and the consultation will be going out at some point, And I hope that people will respond to that and um, and look at it. But right now, my focus is on what we can do. Um, and thank you for the comment around enthusiasm and, and so on. Um, you know, I'm trying to put some energy into this role. Um, and I'm having some really good conversations with some big businesses. Um, and we're seeing some good results. I think, I think, I think the, with one, the so. evidence from Australia is that the person that occupies the role is really important. Uh, and, uh, you know, you need to have that energy. And I would like to think that we and back in business might be able to help in the consultation. Uh, uh, we're, we're going to do a survey of small businesses 
Um, and anything you would like us to ask, we could maybe put into that survey. Uh, also, also, um, Philip has already agreed that if we get some questions in on late payments, he'll come back and do a question and answer session. I think I'm right, Philip, in saying you've agreed to do that. Uh, Very so, happy to do that. Yeah. yeah so what well, ninety days like, credit. What we would sorry, <laughs> sorry, Mickey. He could do it on ninety days credit. <laughs> My services are all free, Mickey. We don't charge a penny to anybody. I tell you what, if it's waiting for money it's for where months, you're going wrong. <laughs> it could be even longer than, than the 90 days. Uh, but, Philip, we are going to ask for people to tweet us and email us and so on. Uh, and we will definitely come back to you on that. And thank you ever so much a, for joining us now and B for agreeing to do that. Uh, that's absolutely terrific. And um, Simon, is there anything else that we need to know about this week? Yeah, there's a lot going on, Simon. Day after day, something new is emerging. You're the man to, to tell us what it is. Well, it seems that the Prime Minister's been like Santa Claus and every day he's giving us a little uh, present opening up to maybe distract from some of those other problems. But, uh, I mean, I think we've got to keep our eye on, on the, the business situation and the economy um you know i i think things are not looking really good this is not going to be a v-shape this is going to be a very long recovery and i i really feel that that small businesses need to really get their voices heard and i think if people could just send us in their experiences and their their problems we will do our best then to communicate this through the podcast and through work with Parliament, etc. Um, and of course, uh, Jyoti is here. She's our chief reporter, and she's on standby to report to the team um, and get the guests on to the podcast. We're writing blogs all the time. We really want to hear from you, and we are talking to politicians as much as we possibly can. Um, but I think that's got to be all from us for this week. Uh, email us with questions for Philip about late payments or anything else that you'd like to tell us. It's contact us at backinbusiness.org.uk. Visit us, us on the website, find us on LinkedIn, or we're on Twitter at business underscore backin. We want your experiences, your stories, your questions. And next week, we'll be talking about what's happening in the cafes and restaurants around the UK. And we'll see you there. <laughs>